Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful for the joy and the happiness that you want us to live each day. Lord, we ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship, and Lord, we ask for your ability to put aside the burdens and the cares of this life, to think and to dwell upon your goodness and your grace, to rejoice in the great love wherewith you have loved us. We ask that this time this morning, this next hour or so, would be profitable for our service for Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of James. And uh, then we're going to move out of the book of James and come back. But James chapter 5, this is where we get the title and the main theme for this morning's Message, James chapter 5 and verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Uh, Friday, I was out running errands and playing catch-up after the trip to uh, Phoenix and getting back Thursday afternoon and uh, just trying to catch up on the news. And I happened to hit a button on the station and all of a sudden this guy came on and he says, we... This is the happy hour on our whatever broadcast it is, and he was talking about what it means to be happy. And as a preacher, I'm always interested in in what the world has to say about happy. Uh, Many places, they have what they call happy hour. Uh, That's where you go and you get so numb that nothing hurts anymore, and you're supposed to be happy, right? Uh, Until you have to pay the bill. Uh, then it's not quite so happy anymore, is it? And uh, uh, if you turn on the television, uh, which I don't know that I really recommend, but if you happen to turn one of those things on, uh, they have a lot of programs that come on after the news. Do you ever wonder why the guys come on and tell all the dirty jokes and have fun after the news is over? It's because you're so depressed because of the news. Now they have something to try to make you feel happy. And while we were singing that song, Happy in the Love of Jesus, I was looking at my, um, now I'm going to forget how old she was, uh, is, four-year-old daughter. I said four. Yeah, I was right. I I was only joking. I do remember how old the children are. And uh, little Esther was sitting there trying to sing the words. And when she saw that daddy was looking at her, she began to smile real big. And, of course, that always makes daddy smile. And, And that is one of the wonderful things about life is being able to look at another person. I mean, smiles are contagious, aren't they? And... uh It's a whole lot easier for children to be happy than it is for us adults now, isn't it? But have you ever thought it's a lot easier for them to be sad too? I mean, the little children, I mean, they're happy one minute and then they're sad the next and then they're happy again. And that's okay for a little child. But if you're sitting there at your desk at work and you're happy one minute and sad the next and mad the next and happy the next, uh, you you may need to uh, sign up for some counseling. Amen. Uh, You you might want a little bit of help there. Uh, it's, It's something we call stability. I mean, we adults, we worry about so many things now, don't we? And the verse that we just read... It says, Behold, we count them happy. I want to make sure I get the right word here. Which endure. Now, when we hear that word endure, 
The first word that comes to your mind is not happy, is it? Uh, if, if you have a sports mentality, if you like to uh, do those things and play those games and, and run long distance, I mean, that's when I hear the word endurance, I, I think of the distance runner. Uh, I mean, I, the way I am, I like the 40-yard dash. The shorter, the better. Uh, you go all out and you can see the finish line from the beginning and you know that it's just a matter uh, of, of short seconds and it's all going to be over and you can fall down. And <laughs> But uh, that doesn't do well when we talk about living life, does it? Life is not a 40-yard dash or a 100-yard dash. Now, of course, my favorite 100-yard dash is over the goal line in football, especially when my team, the team I'm rooting for, does it. I, I don't mind that at all. Not quite so happy when the other team does that. But you see how transient we've made this thing called happy. When God uses a word, he's got meaning behind it. Amen? We often take God's words and we so trivialize them that we think we can be happy if we have a little alcohol coursing through our veins. That, that is one of the most contradictory statements I've ever heard. If anybody knows anything about medicine, alcohol is not a stimulant. It doesn't make you happy. It makes you depressed. It depresses the central nervous system. It slows all of your responses. And maybe that's why you're happy, because you can't feel anything. I don't know. Uh, I remember one time I was getting ready for surgery. And the nurse comes up and she sticks this needle right in my leg. And she says, this is going to make you feel happy. About five minutes later, my eyes were rolling. The room was spinning. And I said, if this is what happy is, I'm glad I don't get it very often. She said, it'll make you feel like you've had one too many martinis at lunch. And I'm going, if that's what it feels like, I'm glad I've never done this on purpose. This doesn't feel good at all. Yet the Bible says, we count them happy which endure." Could I take a few moments and I want you to uh, go through a story with me about endurance. Um, I often look and there's a book laying on the table. I said, where did this book come from? And uh, of course, if you know our family, you know where the book came from. Peter had bought the book and he didn't take it with him or box it up. It was called 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Has anybody read that book or know the story? Uh, this goes back to World War II, Pearl Harbor, December 1941. Less than a month later, General MacArthur uh, had been forced, well, actually in February, two months later, he had been forced to flee the Philippines. It, it would be another month or so up into the first weeks of of April, but uh, the defeat upon the Batan Peninsula and, and the largest surrender of American forces in history was imminent. It was just going to happen. Uh, the British had been pushed out of Singapore, Indonesia, everywhere we were going. The French, had, we had lost the continent of Europe. Uh, it, was, it was a depressing and sad time. And almost immediately, within days of Pearl Harbor, there were two men, a general and a lieutenant colonel. General Arnold and Lieutenant Colonel Doolittle began making plans. They wanted to do something that would lift American morale. They put 16 B-25s on an aircraft carrier and began to sail toward Japan. 
They wanted to get within 400 miles so there'd be enough gas for the planes to fly over Japan, do a bombing raid on Tokyo, on the capital city of the Japanese Empire, and then fly into free China and and, uh, land the planes. And then the plan was to land the planes and to use them to harass the enemy from the back. If you know anything about the history of that, They were spotted by a Japanese picket ship 48 hours before the launch date. And they had to launch 400 miles further away from their target than they wanted to. And the story was about one of those pilots. His plane ran out of gas as he was trying to land. And on an island just off the coast of China, he thought it was the mainland... As that plane was coming down, the engines quit. He hit a wave, and it was like that plane hitting a concrete wall at 110 miles an hour. It broke his seat free, and he went strapped into his seat right through that glass and plastic and steel cone of the front of the plane. That that the front of that plane, the nose of that plane was made to see through so you could see where you were going and dropping the bombs, but it was also made to withstand a wind gust of 500 miles an hour. He went through that thing with no more protection than just his clothes on. When he woke up, he was under 15 feet of water. He said, I looked up and I could see the water above me. He said, I was strapped in my seat. I was on the bottom. And he said, everything just was quiet and peaceful. And he said, I guess I'm dead. And then he began to think and he said, well, I've got a wife at home and she's going to have a baby. And he said, I began to unbuckle my belt. And he said, it was all just like a dream. I began to float toward the surface. And just at the moment when I thought I couldn't breathe again, he said, I began to breathe. And he said, I couldn't swim. I couldn't move. Make a long story short, it would be the next part of two months between April 18th, 1942, when he crash-landed off the shore of China, and June 1st of that same year, that he would literally be carried hundreds of miles inland just hours ahead of the approaching enemy army to get on a plane and fly back. By the way, as he went through that windshield, his entire face was reconstructed. Two months later, when he got to the hospital, they were still picking bits of bone and teeth out of his sinus cavity that had been forced in by the accident. His leg was going to be amputated for the second time. They tried to save part of it. He was literally carried through the mountains as he was near death from gangrene and infection and all of those things. No real medical treatment for like three weeks as he was carried across until they found a missionary family, and some medical attention. At the end of that story, actually at the end and at the beginning, he said, the whole thing starts with my wife, Ellen. He said, if it hadn't been for my thoughts of her, I would have drowned while I was underwater strapped into my seat. He said, the many times that I wanted just to give up and quit He said, I thought of my wife. And the funny thing was, through the story, he kept telling how he he couldn't even telegram his wife because he was afraid of how she would react to the fact that he had lost his leg. When she finally met him, he had no more worries about that. Because, you see, there's a thing called love that takes care of those things when it's real. Amen? 
And as I read that story of endurance, he would later be fitted with an artificial leg and fulfill his life dream of becoming an aeronautical engineer, designing the very planes and building them that had almost ended his life. And I thought about the endurance that it took. No more, no, no anesthetic, no, not even an aspirin pill for the first three weeks. If you, I mean, these are things that we think about and we say, yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you what, it doesn't make a bit of comprehension to us. How many of you ever been to the dentist? Give me more. Give me more. Just so, just so uh, I, I feel something, uh, Doc, a little bit more of that stuff, whatever it is. I mean, we, we don't know about enduring pain like that. And yet this man did. And you know what we do when we hear stories like this? We, we give respect, we give honor. He was awarded the Distinguished uh, Service Medal for his call above and beyond the duty, his sacrifice. But at the end of his book, he said, it was worth it. It was worth it because of the encouragement that we were able to give to help all of those other people endure the trials that we call World War II. It was worth it, he said. Now, we're talking about something far greater than a battle that is fought with hands and weapons against other human beings. There are verses in the Bible, I just want to read a couple of them, that talk about this thing called endurance. It says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, people hear that verse and they say, Okay, yeah, I understand. If you're going to be saved, you've got to endure to the end. Wrong. That is not what that verse is saying. The verse is saying that he that endures to the end shall be saved, but you have to understand the Bible in the context of the Bible. It is not your endurance that saves you. It is the endurance of Jesus Christ on the cross through the resurrection that saves you. Amen? And because He endured, we can endure. If you have a faith that quits, do you think it's a faith that might get you to heaven? Be a little bit nervous about that, wouldn't you? A faith that quits, a faith that's got to be worked on constantly. How many of you have ever owned an old clunker car? I mean, that had to be worked on all the time. And I mean, you just weren't sure whether it would make it from home to work or from work back to home. And when you went out in the parking lot, it was one of those things, okay, dear Lord, please try to hope it's going to start. By the way, crossing your fingers and all of that doesn't work. Uh, that's not endurance. Endurance has the idea of getting through to the other end. Amen? If you don't get through to the far side, if you don't finish the course, you have not endured. That's why Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, said, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. The, the reason why we...
tell the story of Captain Lawrence that, that we just read here today, who was one of the flyers in the Doolittle Raid in April of 1942, is because he endured. He got through that process and it was because of the help of other people. But it was also because he never lost the will to live and to finish the mission and to return home to his family. Now, I want us to turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. And we've got two more passages of Scripture to look at, and then we'll come back to James chapter 5 and try to tie this all up. Second Timothy chapter 2. Timothy was Paul's son in the ministry. He was one of the men that, that uh, uh, Paul was training. And in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Unless you're a Yankee, excuse me. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore... I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they, also, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, do you get what the Apostle Paul is saying here? He says, listen, Timothy, I want you to endure hardness as a good soldier. There's no soldier that goes to war and gets himself entangled in the affairs of this life. He's got to be a soldier. It says there's no one that strives for the masteries. It seems like every time you pick up the news, we have someone else striving for the masteries that test positive for some kind of steroid, some kind of illegal substance, some kind of enhancing whatever. Almost ready to give up on professional sports. How about you? Uh, just kind of tired of that stuff. It used to be they played the game because they loved the game. What good is it if someone wins the Tour de France because he was taking drugs? What good do you do if you break, break Babe Ruth's record by taking something that enhances your ability to play? By the way, I wonder what Babe Ruth would have done if he weren't taking things to unenhance his ability to play. And if you know the story there, you just stop and wonder sometimes now, don't you? But we're talking about the service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time I go to a preacher's meeting, it seems, I hear of another pastor that's entangled himself with the affairs of this life had to resign, no longer a preacher, no longer fit to stand behind a pulpit, scares me to death. But we could go through the ranks, if we wanted to, of people who have sat in these pews that have gotten themselves entangled with the things of this world and no longer are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It scares me to death. You can't be a Christian on the outside 
alone. If you're going to be a real Bible Christian, it's something that comes from the inside out. Amen? That's where you get the ability to endure. And Paul is saying, listen, I have a reason to go through all of these things. Now, how many, how many trials had the Apostle Paul? How many are familiar with his life? He was shipwrecked three different times. He was beaten uh, publicly many times by the Jewish people, by the Roman authorities. He was cast unlawfully, in, beaten and cast unlawfully in prison in the city of Philippi. And what did he do? He sang praises to God. And the jailer said, I want what you have. And he got saved. Paul said, listen, I endure all of these things because I have people who are watching me and I have a Savior who's been there before me. So I'm looking to my Savior and what He has done, and I'm looking at my life and realizing I had to do nothing compared to what Jesus had to endure. Amen? The next time you get discouraged with life and, and get overwhelmed with circumstance, sit down and read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And yet, when he was in the garden, how many of you remember that story in John? They said, whom seek ye? He, he asked them, whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he uttered the two words, I am. And they fell down on the ground. In your King James Bible, it completes the English sentence, I am he. Uh, so that we understand exactly what Jesus was saying. But he was using the same title that God used when Moses said, What is thy name? In the Hebrew, it's exactly the same. He said, I am. And they fell down on the ground. Now, if he could have spoken the word and all of those soldiers fell down, do you think they crucified Jesus because... He was a victim of circumstance, that he was some kind of martyr. You ever hear any preacher say that? I want you to understand that is blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I could call 10,000 angels, or 10 legions of angels, actually. One angel killed 185,000 soldiers in one night without breaking a sweat, by the way. You imagine what 60,000 would do? Jesus willingly endured the cross so that we could be set free from our sins. And he says, all I want you to do is I want you to take your life that I've given you and I want you to serve me with it. By the way, you're going to endure hardness. I think of the story of the soldier that we told today. You talk about enduring hardness. Having to literally watch the doctor take your leg off. And feeling the limited anesthetic that they had wearing off during the operation. He said, Doc, you got to hurry. It says the feelings, in, I can wiggle my toes in my other foot. He said before it was all done, he had full movement in the right leg and he was starting to really feel things. And the doctor said, just one more stitch. He said, good thing he kept his word. Many people would panic at that point, lose it, go into shock, and die. Because they've just decided they're not going to endure Now, I've got a Savior that's been through a whole lot more than that. He's been through death and he's come back. Amen? He says, and I'm here to give you my strength to endure. And you know, there are people that every one of us in this room have influence with. Your endurance 
or lack thereof can hinder or enhance another person's desire to come to the Savior. That's why we can't quit. Amen? That's why, hey, it's economically a very bad time. But by God's grace, you know what we're going to do as a church? We're going to give more commissions this year than we ever have. Amen? You say, well, what if we have to uh, do without some other things? Uh, well, there's a verse we just read talking about enduring a little hardness, and we'll do that. Amen? I'll take a pay cut before the missionaries go without salary. Amen? We're, we're going to go through this thing. We're going to endure because there is a Savior that's worth enduring for. Amen? And by the way, if you've trusted Him as your personal Savior, the life that you now have is because of Him. That's why I can endure. If you don't have that life, you can get it today. It's very simple. It's putting your faith in Jesus alone. Even a little child can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's us adults who make it so complicated. Uh, but don't, don't I need to do something else? But don't... Hey, as uh, Captain, or actually at that time Lieutenant Lawrence was being carried over the mountains and through all of that dangerous enemy territory, he couldn't walk. Half the time he couldn't even sit up. He had to let someone else do it for him. Amen? You're not going to get through life by yourself. Nobody is that strong. But if you'll trust Jesus, he'll give you the life. He will carry you through. Amen? I don't endure because I am such a strong person. I am not. But my Savior is. Is there any place you couldn't go holding Jesus' hand? Is there any sorrow you can't face with him to walk with you all the way? Amen? Is there any trouble that's too confusing for your mind if you'll just follow Jesus instead of trying to tell him where to go? Amen? That's what these verses are talking about. It's just that simple. We can endure because he has already. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Past the book of Hebrews, not quite to the book of Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read verses 18 and 19 and 20 here. First Peter chapter 2, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only, in good, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Let's read the next verse. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that, he, that ye should follow in his steps. Here's what Peter says. He says, listen, it is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, wrongfully. If you get in trouble for something that you have done wrong, uh, is it exceptional that you should stand to be corrected? 
Now, how many of you like to be corrected? Okay, I see I'm in a church with real people in it. Okay. None of us like to be corrected. It is very frustrating when you've tried and you've done the the best that you thought you could when someone says, that's not good enough. We don't like that now, do we? But how many of you had a teacher or a father or mother that was mean enough to say, that's unacceptable? But I got to be... Yeah, but that is not what you're capable of doing. If you're capable of doing A work, A B should be unacceptable. Amen? If you're capable of doing C work, and that is the end of your capability, guess what? That is good. And you're doing better than the person who's capable of getting A's and sliding along with B. Isn't that right? And every once in a while, not often, not as often as we should, we run into people who test us and who push us and make us miserable, sometimes downright angry. I'm going to show him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get 100% the next time. Well, good, you just get angry and get that 100%. Amen? That was the goal. I was talking with my brother this weekend, and uh, he, he reminded me, he said, I, I just talked to Mr. Betts, and Mr. Betts was one of those kind of teachers in my life. Uh, I gave him a paper that was definitely an A paper, and he threw it back at me and said, you got to do this over again. I said, that's ridiculous. No, I didn't. I was afraid to say that to his face. That's what I was saying in my mind. He said, you go rewrite this paper. He said, it's almost good. I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for men like Mr. Betts that challenged me to go forward and do that extra step. But that's not what God's talking about here. That is, those are good things when someone stops you and makes you go forward. When you're buffeted, when you're corrected for something wrong that you've done, and you patiently take it and improve, guess what? That's a good thing, isn't it? But it gets you no credit with God. God says, listen. If you endure grief, suffering wrongfully, when someone has falsely accused you and lied about you, trying to hurt you, that's when God says, thank you. Because only God can do that in the life of a human being. Amen? We be Americans, don't we? I have my rights. How many of you remember the old colonial flag? Don't tread on me. Uh, There there were bullets attached to that flag, my friend. They were were telling the English, don't don't you tax us. We're going to take care of the tax collector. And and it's not going to be by paying them off either. It's going to be by sending them home in a body bag if necessary. But we're not paying those taxes. I mean, that's the history of our nation. This idea of suffering patiently and carefully, even though that we have been wronged and hurt and purposefully lied against, is not part of American culture. And by the way... uh, If you know any culture in the world outside Bible Christianity that lifts up that kind of suffering, let me know about it because it doesn't exist, does it? I don't care what people group it is. No one likes being hurt, lied about, 
No one likes to suffer wrongfully. And yet God says, wait a minute. Did Jesus suffer rightfully on the cross? Did he deserve the cross? Huh? Did Jesus deserve to be spit on? Cursed? Have his beard pulled out of his face? Beaten? Crown of thorns? The Roman soldiers falling down before him and saying, Hail, King! And then taking their staff, their walking stick, and beating that crown into his head and carrying the flesh. Those were the physical sufferings of Jesus. Easter's coming up, and by the way, let me just warn you again, don't waste your time with no gifts to the movie, please. You will not learn anything about Jesus or the cross or the Bible by watching Mel Gibson's movie. You can take everything the Bible has to say in all four Gospels. What Mel Gibson put in his movies was the ravings of a demon-possessed nun from the 1800s. Don't mess with it. You want to learn about the sufferings of Christ, study the words that he said on the cross. And he cried out in the darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who is Jesus, my friend? Somebody said it. My God. How could he cry out to God, asking God why he has forsaken him? It's very simple. Jesus took upon him the punishment for all of our sin. He took our guilt. God the Father turned his back on God the Son, and the only moment in all of history, I, I don't even know a word that describes it. We could say disunity among the Trinity of God, uh, we, could, we could try to describe it, but there's no way for us as human beings to comprehend how God himself in the person of the Son took upon him every sin that was ever sinned, and yet he was not tainted by that sin because he was God. Jesus didn't become a sinner on the cross. He carried the burden of all of our sins before a holy God. And God turned his back as Jesus suffered alone. The righteous for the unrighteous. The little bit of suffering that we endure in this lifetime cannot be compared to what our Savior did for us. That's our example. Amen? So when somebody lies about you for being a Christian, make sure they're not lying about you because you were mean to them. Hmm? Amen? Make sure they're not trying to get even with you for some wrong thing that you've done towards somebody else. That's not what the Bible's talking about. When you've done right... When you're serving God and you suffer wrongfully for that, you take that suffering to God. Most of us will never have an opportunity to earn some kind of service medal in the military because we're not there. God, this is God's equivalent right here. What do we do to servicemen to go above? We say thank you and we give them a medal. God says, this is thankworthy. If ye endure grief 
her conscience toward God, suffering wrongfully. That's what God does. Amen. Now we're going to go back to one more, our, our beginning passage. Just a few pages forward here. One page in my Bible. James chapter 5. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you would like to be happy today? Every hand goes up, right? In fact, if I were to ask the question, how many of you want to be sad and depressed? If anybody raised their hand, I would tell you, please, please, I beg you, uh, let's make an appointment this week that we could spend some time together because God doesn't want you being sad and depressed and overwhelmed with all the things of this life. Amen? It says, we count them happy which endure. What did Captain Lawrence say? He was worth it. He would never walk normal again. Every morning when he would get up, he only needed one shoe to put on because the other foot wasn't there anymore. But he said, I'm glad I endured. I'm glad I volunteered to go on that mission. Now that's a man, as far as I know, never trusted the Lord as his Savior. I don't know any of his religious... Uh, History, it's not in the book that I was able to read. And when that's not there, we, we just take it for granted that it's not there. Because you have to have a personal faith in a personal Christ in order to enjoy the things that are in this book called the Bible. Amen? But I'll tell you, when we get to heaven, When you see Jesus for the first time, you're going to understand what this verse says. We count them happy, which endure. Amen? If you're not saved when you see Jesus for the first time, it's only going to be bring fear and trembling to your heart. you'll trust Jesus in this life. He'll give you what it takes to endure. You don't endure to be saved. You endure because you are saved. You endure because of the relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't quit his children. Therefore, we endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We endure all things for the elect's sake, for other people that are watching us because we want to encourage one another. That's what church is all about, is to encourage each other and not to get all wrapped up in the depression and the doom and the gloom. And I mean, there's a lot of rotten things going on today. If you want to get depressed... I mean, let's just make a list. I mean, it's, it gets longer every day, doesn't it? But I'm glad. I've said this many times. My hope is not in Washington, D.C. My treasure isn't on Wall Street. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My treasure is in heaven. The only thing you can take to heaven with you is someone you've led to the Lord. Someone that you've had a part in helping come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's treasure. One time a preacher of a Baptist church back in the early days of the Roman Empire was arrested for being a preacher. And of course, they lied about the Christians back then as they did. And this Roman soldier said, I want your treasures. And uh, the, 
preacher began to think a moment. He said, oh, yeah, okay, but we're going to need several wagons to carry it up. And the soldier was going, I'm going to cooperate with Christian. This is going to be good for me and my men. And so he rounded up several wagons, and the preacher filled them with the beggars who were members of his church. He said, these are God's soldiers. He paid for that with his life. You ever met a happy critic? Hmm? Have you ever met somebody who was happy about failing? I only got a halfway done, but I sure am glad I got a halfway done. That doesn't last very long, does it? We count them happy that in here. We count them happy that finish the race, amen? We count them happy that show up on the other side of the problem. God's happiness is not based upon your circumstance. Happiness that is based upon circumstance is so shallow and so fleeting. The circumstance changes so quickly. How happy were these people who were supposedly getting 18 and 20 percent return on all their investment for all those years with Mr. I made off with your cash. They thought they were getting something. And, and if you look back and you'll remember, you'll remember the smirks and the funny little smiles and say, I'm not satisfied with 5% return. Anybody remember that? Their happiness didn't last very long, did it? Once they found out the truth. 